From the Heritage Foundation, I'm Michelle Cordero, and this is Heritage Explains. Dragon, SpaceX, go for launch. SpaceX Dragon, we're go for launch. Let's light this candle. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. Ignition. Liftoff of the Falcon 9 and Crew Dragon. Go NASA, go SpaceX, Godspeed, Bob and Doug. America has launched. As my family and I watched that launch, I really tried to get my kids to understand how important it was. They totally thought the fiery rocket was cool for a few minutes, but it was harder to really get them to appreciate the significance of the SpaceX and NASA partnership. Private Enterprise was once again outperforming one of the most funded government-run programs. And because of that, America was back in the space game after almost a decade, and that was even cooler. For Elon and 8,000 SpaceX employees, today is the fulfillment of a dream almost two decades in the making. For years on end, they have worked hand-in-hand with NASA, sculpting aluminum, tightening valves, tuning nozzles, testing parachutes, and filling massive tanks with thousands and thousands of pounds of kerosene and liquid oxygen. Today, the groundbreaking partnership between NASA and SpaceX has given our nation the gift of an unmatched power, a state-of-the-art spaceship to put our astronauts into orbit at a fraction of the cost of the space shuttle. And it's much better. And now that SpaceX has successfully launched two NASA astronauts to the International Space Station, Elon Musk has announced his next goal, colonizing Mars. Here's Elon right after the launch. I, but I think the, the, this is hopefully the first step on a journey towards a, a civilization on, on Mars, beca- life becoming multiplanetary, you know, based on the moon and expand, expanding beyond Earth and, and life becoming a multi-planet species, life becoming multi-planetary for the first time in the four and a half billion year history of Earth. I think this is hopefully the first step on that journey. Today we're talking to Dean Chang. Dean is a senior research fellow in Heritage's Davis Institute for National Security and Foreign Policy. Dean also sits on NASA's National Space Council Users Advisory Group. In this week's episode, Dean explains what took American space programs so long to get to this point. If space tourism is something we could actually see in our lifetime, and if that would be a good or bad thing. We'll jump right into my conversation with Dean after this short break. Overwhelmed by the 24-7 news cycle? Looking for a way to keep up with the news that matters? The Daily Signal podcast brings you the top news of the day, plus interviews with lawmakers, authors, Heritage Foundation experts, and more on the most important policy debates in America today. If you're a conservative who wants to be on top of the news, check out the Daily Signal podcast, available every weekday morning. The importance of this space launch is tied directly to the reality that the United States for many years now has not had the ability to place its own astronauts into orbit. 
Now, when you consider that we are the first and still only nation to have landed people on the moon, um, it's really kind of a sad statement that for so many years we had to basically pay the Russians in order to go up to the International Space Station, of which we are an equal partner. So with SpaceX's launch, um, successful docking, uh, basically what this has demonstrated is that the United States is now back in the uh, human spaceflight uh, game fully. Uh, the ability to not only train astronauts, uh, but to place them safely into orbit and, uh, of course, to bring them home. So, and what was the reason that we stopped sending men into space in 2011? Um, the space shuttle program uh, had been designed uh, to last for a while, but the spacecraft were getting old. Uh, we had, of course, lost Challenger in the 1980s, and then we lost Columbia. And with that, uh, the assessment was made that uh, the, the uh, shuttles were probably not going to be able to continue for very much longer in any case, in terms of being beyond their uh, lifespan. Uh, they were incredibly complex uh, pieces of machinery, but also their um, tiles and things, as we saw in the Columbia tragedy, were very fragile and potentially vulnerable. So uh, with that, we ended the shuttle uh, program. Unfortunately, we didn't have any replacement program ready to go. And despite years of studies, years of examination, um, and in fact, for the next uh, six or seven years, there were all sorts of studies and all sorts of uh, ideas and all sorts of discussions, but no one was willing to put the money, the real hardcore money into developing a manned, man-rated uh, replacement. Uh, and then Elon Musk came along and he said, well, if it's about money, uh, I got money. So he, uh, SpaceX, is a private corporation's decision to push into space. This is Elon Musk building off his internet-derived fortune, saying, I will spend the money to develop a man-rated spacecraft. And he did. And that's how he got back into the space game. And so he not only put the money up to develop it, but... He also developed a program that's less expensive than what we were already doing. Correct. So um, first off, he, Musk, comes from the business sector. Um, he's not a government worker. Uh, his approach, whether it's to Tesla or to the Internet or to uh, making uh, uh, consumer flamethrowers, uh, war spacecraft is to put things on a very business-oriented decision cycle, um, also a business-oriented innovation cycle. Um, when you watch a SpaceX space uh, rocket land on a pad, it demonstrates that he has successfully uh, overcome a number of engineering challenges so that he can make parts of his spacecraft reusable, which we expect to have significant savings. Um, so he is basically uh, applying standard business practices to what has up until now pretty much been the sole purview of governments. And that's led to cheaper space flights and space missions. It's so cool. I, I, you know, I can't help but geek out on this stuff a little bit. But when I was watching the launch, they said that 
um, when the shuttle lands again, it's kind of like dropping a pencil from space and needing it to land a racer down on a postage stamp. That that's how precise that has to be. Uh, that's absolutely correct. And when you take a look at some of the earlier tests, um, not all of which succeeded, uh, you see a lot of press coverage saying, oh, look, what a crazy idea, and, and it failed. When you talk to the engineers, what they will point out is that with each test, he got closer, they were, you know, um, they were, they were better controlled until eventually they were, you know, they scored repeated successes in landing that pencil from space eraser side down. Um, we sometimes forget that success in engineering and science often only comes after multiple failures and having the patience and the resources to continue despite those failures is one of the things that Musk has demonstrated. If I can ask, Dean, where were you when you watched this rocket launch? Uh, no surprise. I was home. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I like was, most of us. Uh, like most of us. Uh, I was watching. Um, the president, I believe, did in fact go down to Florida uh, to watch, um, which again uh, is a sign of the importance that this administration has accorded space. Um, arguably, Donald Trump is the most pro-space president since maybe John F. Kennedy. Um, he has issued a number of what are known as space policy directives, um, which have tried to clear things like regulatory uh, underbrush that were limiting our ability to do space. He helped create the Space Force. And by going down to Florida, um, uh, you know, he made pretty clear that uh, this White House is supportive of private industry's efforts to support um, the, the uh, private sector. Um, in space. So now that we've done this with SpaceX, what's the next step? Is there another launch scheduled? Um, I don't know uh, the precise scheduling, um, but uh, absolutely. I think we should be expecting several things. We should be expecting that there will be uh, more of these missions first off to the International Space Station. Second of all, um, this administration has said that it intends to return to the moon and to stay there. Now, the current plan is for something called Lunar Gateway. It would be essentially a moon orbiting space station, space lab. Um, and then from that uh, lunar orbiting uh, space uh, station would be missions that would then go up and down to the lunar surface. So uh, SpaceX already looks like it may be able to produce a rocket that will be able to go to the moon um, by 2024, which is the time frame that the administration has said it wants to do. Unfortunately, Boeing's Starliner appears to be unable to meet that time requirement. So um, with this success and assuming continued success in subsequent missions, uh, it may well be a SpaceX uh, spacecraft and rocket that takes us back to the moon. Now, Elon Musk has also talked about space tourism, putting, a, like you said, a base on the moon, colonizing Mars, space hotels, and much more. Are you optimistic that all of that will happen? Um, we've always got the problem of, uh, especially with space, very, very ambitious ideas, which are usually defeated not so much by engineering, 
Um, although that is very difficult. Space is probably the toughest environment to operate in, but lack of resources. So could we go to Mars? Um, I think at this point there is an expectation that somebody is going to be heading to Mars, whether it is uh, a government, uh, whether it is private companies, whether it is uh, the United States, the Chinese uh, who are sending up their first Martian mission uh, later this summer. Uh, another problem here is going to be um, liability and safety. So space hotel, space tourism is great when you're sending one or two people up. But what happens if you have several dozen people in a space hotel in Earth orbit and a piece of space debris comes along? Um, so there are a number of potential issues. I don't think any of them are uh, so great that they can't be overcome, but there's going to be questions of how much are we prepared to invest? And if you think about it, COVID-19 has produced the equivalent of a global depression in terms of economic activity. There's just simply going to be a lot fewer dollars, euros, renminbi, yen around to support space projects and space programs. Um, so that's going to be an issue as well. Yeah, On the more sense. optimistic side, we have really the dawn of a new space age. Uh, Elon Musk, of course, has gotten a lot of the attention, but Jeff Bezos, uh, for example, with Blue Origin, um, Richard Branson with Virgin Galactic, we're really watching the private sector starting to say, I think there's money out there. And so if they are willing to sustain that commitment, uh, we may well see a more private sector oriented, not so much space race, but space boom uh, over the coming decades. It's interesting. When I was looking up research for this topic with you, I came across a heritage paper from 1986 where we called on the private sector to do exactly this. So that's pretty awesome. Absolutely. The, I mean, this has been something of a debate. Uh, what is the role of space? What, how should we think about space? So you have various groups uh, who think about space as, for example, purely the purview of science. We, we shouldn't take uh, business out there. We certainly shouldn't take the military out there. We should simply go and explore other planets. Um, and that's a great idea. That's a lovely sentiment. But it becomes very, very, very hard to justify spending billions of dollars on a space program simply for science. Uh, you have people who argue that uh, space should be a sanctuary, that certainly there shouldn't be military activities in space. The reality is that the space age that began in 1957 has always been about military advantage. And uh, that that has been a factor. Um, commerce and businesses always faced an issue of are there property rights in space? Uh, and there's been some debate about that. And both the previous administration and this administration have made very clear that there is a place for old fashioned capitalism, private enterprise, uh, property rights in space. Um, and that I think uh, has come much more to fruition now. Um, because that's that's why you're seeing all of these uh, private entrepreneurs pushing. Dean, random question, but are other countries using private companies for their space exploration? Uh, thus far, um, we've only seen the Chinese, interestingly, start to think about uh, commercial 
space ventures. Uh, and the Chinese, of course, uh, being uh, who they are, have a very complex, multifaceted approach. So on the uh, one hand, you have current state-owned enterprises, which dominate China's space industrial complex, being told, hey, you guys need to be more innovative. And what they've done is they've sort of hived off, quote unquote, private companies that are really tied back to these state-owned enterprises and said, okay, here's a subsidiary, it's a private company, and it's going to market a bunch of our products. But we actually do see some genuine commercial companies also taking shape in China, um, in part because the Chinese government actually does recognize, uh, sometimes more than our own government, that the private sector is often much more innovative and much more flexible and much more agile. And so the Chinese have actually passed laws and regulations that say space is no longer only the purview, China's space efforts are no longer only the purview of state-owned enterprises. If you're a private company, we think you're really important and we will cut you breaks with regards to accessing capital, um, being able to do marketing and being able to sell your products. So we are starting to see Chinese uh, companies in space launch, in satellite manufacturing, uh, certainly in uh, space services, um, and uh, the Chinese expectation is that they will be directly competing with SpaceX, not with big state-owned enterprises like China Aerospace Science and Technology Corporation, but with Chinese companies. Okay, in conclusion, and you brought this up a little bit in our previous question, but in conclusion, what are some of the new challenges you think we're going to face moving forward? For example, if there's more people in space, is there anyone putting out guidelines or norms of behavior in space already? Are people working on that? There are a lot of different groups working on different aspects of space norms and space standards. Uh, we have uh, something called the Woomera Group, for example. Um, that is trying to come up with uh, uh, basically space uh, laws, space rules. Um, we have uh, industry groups that are trying to come up uh, with best practices and spread those around. Uh, the European Union tried to get a space code of conduct out there that died a um, long lingering death, uh, probably uh, well-deserved. Um, since it failed to take into account a variety of concerns, including that of other countries like India. Um, one of the issues here is the uh, grave concern over space debris. Space debris poses a challenge both to people in space, but also to satellites and other equipment. Uh, things in space move very fast. If you have a collision, even with a paint fleck, you can have uh, catastrophic results. There are pictures from, I think it was a space shuttle that showed cracks in its windows uh, from literally paint flecks hitting, hitting those. Um, China has demonstrated a remarkable lack of concern for norms. And I'm not just talking about the 2007 ASAT test, the single worst debris generating event of the space age. More recently, the Chinese fired a new rocket, the Long March 5 into space, uh, carrying a payload and uh, unlike other large rockets, they took their rocket engine into low Earth orbit and then didn't pay much attention to where it came down. And so large multi-ton hunks of metal um, apparently landed in Cote d'Ivoire on land, uh, 
didn't kill anyone, but that's luck. Um, and the Chinese didn't inform anyone uh, about this. And before it came down, uh, some of those debris pieces had uh, passed over New York City. So uh, there's a long way to go before we can establish a broad set of globally accepted norms and standards. Yeah, I'd also say that, I mean, that's fascinating. I hadn't heard any of this that you just mentioned, and perhaps we'll hear more of this with more going on in space exploration. These types of news stories will be more prevalent. Dean, thank you so much for talking with us on this. It's been a really difficult news cycle, um, a lot of pain, a lot of crisis out there. So it's nice to be able to talk about innovation and, and something that's actually good for America right now. Thank you for having me. That's it for this week's episode. If you watched the launch, I'm curious to know what everyone thought about the new spacesuits or the fact that the astronauts showed up in Teslas. And how about that new modern control room? Shoot me an email. Let me know what you thought at managingeditor at heritage.org. Also, please don't forget to leave us a rating or a review or a like wherever you're listening. As always, I hope you're well. Tim is up next week. We'll see you then. Heritage Explains is produced by Michelle Cordero and Tim Desher, with editing by Thalia Rampersad.